Welcome to President's Chapel at Gateway Seminary. As most of you know, we have suspended our regular chapel services for the balance of this spring semester because of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in our country and the directives we've been given to limit large gatherings like chapel would involve. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to be speaking to you in this venue called President's Chapel and talking with you specifically about some insights or some uh, aspects of scripture that might be helpful to us as an organization and as a community uh, through this time. So today, I'd like to speak to you on this idea. God is enough. God is enough. And for our text, I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says this, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. Now let's stop there just for a moment. Our affliction that took place in Asia. When I read that, I thought, wow, I wonder what that affliction was. And I wonder if that affliction relates specifically to our situation today. So I consulted good commentaries thinking they would reveal to me the nature of the affliction. And here's what I discovered. This is what David Garland wrote in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. Paul gives no details about his affliction in Asia. <laughs> Was he tormented by the onset of a stubborn and life-threatening ailment? Menaced by particularly dangerous persecution? Struck down by an accident of some kind? Are stricken with some psychological distress? He does not say. And then, as most commentators do, Dr. Garland spends about four or five pages outlining all the different options that have, all, that have been presented throughout church history about what Paul's affliction might have been. And then he concludes, in the final analysis, we cannot know precisely what affliction Paul had in mind because he does not tell us. He only describes its severity. The string of superlatives conveys the intensity of his suffering. It was something that left his, his life hanging by a thread. So while we do not know the nature of the affliction, as you're going to see in these next verses, it was a very serious matter. So let's continue. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. And then he starts describing its intensity. He says, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. <clears throat> there are three phrases here that indicate the intensity of this affliction. Paul wrote, we were completely overwhelmed. Do you feel that way right now? With all that we're living through as a culture and as a community, do you feel completely overwhelmed? Likely so. Then he writes, so that we even despaired of life itself. Now this could of course mean that he entertained suicidal thoughts, but you don't have to go quite that far, I think, to understand this phrasing. When he said despaired of life itself, I think you might have simply meant, I don't know how to keep living. I, I don't know how to go forward. I don't know what to do next. Do you feel that way today? Some of us have felt that way in recent days. And then he writes, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. 
And certainly in our media recently, there's been so much about the dangers of COVID-19 and what it's doing to people and the predictions or at least the possibilities of mass deaths in the tens or hundreds of thousands have been, been, have been in our media, which causes us to think that maybe this affliction is going to bring with it the sentence of death. So Paul writes and says, <clears throat> I felt afflicted. And he gives us three, <clears throat> these three qualifiers to help us understand how serious this affliction was to him and how personally he felt its pain. Now this affliction that he was experiencing had a purpose. I want you to see it. That purpose was so that he might come to the end of himself. And if we're feeling that same kind of affliction in our lives, it's so that we might come to the end of ourselves. Notice what he writes. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. The first phrase in which Paul describes the results of this affliction was that he was overwhelmed beyond his strength. In other words, he came to the end of his own capacities, his own abilities, his own talents. He came to the end of himself. And then drop down to verse 9, last part. So that all of this happened, so that, or for the result that, we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. So let's stop now and talk about what we've learned so far from the passage. Paul experienced a great affliction. We're not sure exactly what it was, and I think in the mystery and wonder of God, that's a blessing to us, because it means this passage can be applied in a lot of different situations. We are in an affliction right now as a culture, and many of you are feeling this affliction personally through loss of health, loss of financial resource, loss of future opportunity. You're feeling it. You're completely overwhelmed to the point that you despair of life, not knowing what to do next in your life. You might even feel like you've received a sentence of death, that, that, that the consequences could be that bad. But Paul writes that in the context of this affliction, something good happened. The good result was he came to the end of his strength and he stopped trusting in himself and started trusting more deeply in God. God is enough. Now today in President's Chapel, I wanna tell you two stories of how God has allowed affliction in my life in the past. And through those circumstances, God brought me to the end of myself in very specific and profound ways and showed me that he really is enough to sustain me in my life. The first time anything like this happened to me was in my mid-30s when I was diagnosed with cancer. I was uh, very healthy. I went to the doctor for a routine insurance physical and was discovered to have cancer. Now, because thyroid cancer is very rare in young men, my doctor first thought, well, it's probably not cancer, so let's do an exploratory surgery. But if it is, Jeff, he said, you'll have to have a much more extensive surgery a few days later. Well, that's what we did. So the first time I went in for surgery, everything went well. The surgery was really not that difficult. Uh, and they sent me home a day or so later to wait for the results. I waited over the weekend, and on Monday morning early, the doctor called and said, Jeff, this is Dr. Delorit. Have you had breakfast yet? I knew what that question meant. That question meant I was having surgery again because you can't eat before surgery. 
I said, yes, I, I have. He said, don't eat anything else. Go to the hospital eight hours from now. You'll be tacked onto the surgical schedule at the end of the day. You have to have surgery today. You have cancer. That was a difficult day, a whirlwind day of activity, trying to get everything pulled together for now, going through a second surgery in five days and then moving into cancer treatments and all that it meant for my family and for my work. Because of the nature of my surgery, there was a risk that I would never speak again. And so we had to scramble about what that meant and what that might mean in our family going forward. Finally went to the hospital that late that afternoon and in the evening I had uh, my second surgery. Now, before that surgery, I had an experience with God, an encounter with him, which I've written about in my book, Is God Calling Me? Read that another time. But now I wanna tell you the story which I've not previously told, I don't think in this kind of context. I wanna tell you what happened after the second surgery. It did not go well. What I mean was after the second surgery, my body was not responding well. Uh, lots of things were going wrong. I'm not gonna go into the medical details, just know that it was a very bad night. And because my surgery had been in the evening, uh, after surgery, eight, nine, 10, 11 o'clock that night was when the difficulties started and they lasted through the night. Now I couldn't speak, I couldn't really move around, I, I couldn't do anything for myself. I remember laying in bed and trying to pray, and I couldn't. And I remember trying to, to think about a scripture, and I could only come up with one. And this was my scripture. Weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. And I would say that scripture over and over, and then I only had one prayer that I could get, that I could, that I could think of to pray, and I would pray this one sentence prayer, Lord, get me through to the morning. And so I worked through that night when I was conscious and aware, thinking about one verse, Lord, weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. And then praying my one sentence, Lord, get me to the morning. And I would pray that and I would doze back off of sleep and I would wake up and look at the clock and two minutes would have passed. And that's the kind of night that went by. It was horrible. As the night went on, uh, Ann stayed with me and held my hand as I went through all of this. In fact, my book, The Painful Side of Leadership, is dedicated to Ann, and it says in the dedication, to Ann who held my hand through the darkest night of my life. A lot of people have joked with me about dedicating the painful side of leadership to Ann, but now you know the rest of the story and why that means so much to both of us. The next morning, things started improving. My body started responding started regaining some kind of control and some kind of ability to think and some kind of ability to process. And as the morning wore on, I started having a clear enough mind that I could reflect and think about what had happened to me the night before. And I remember laying there and, and praying this kind of prayer in my mind to God. I said, God, last night, nothing could help me. My education didn't matter. My church couldn't help me. My achievements were irrelevant. There wasn't even anything my family could do for me. I'm so glad Ann stayed with me, but Lord, there was nothing really even that she could do except just be here. And I said, Lord, last night, I found that I was stripped of everything except you. 
and I found out you are enough. Now that experience happened a number of years ago. But if you ask Anne, she'll tell you that she believes I changed more in that single day than in all of our lives that we had shared up until that point. God changed me that night in deep and profound ways and gave me a sense of peace and satisfaction and security in Him that I had never before experienced. God is enough. Now that's a story from my personal experience. I want to share one additional story because I've also had a similar kind of experience in a professional context. In December of 2012, the seminary was facing the darkest time leading up to the decision for the relocation. In December of 2012, we had been at that point for about two to two and a half years trying to move forward the plan to redevelop the Mill Valley campus. A major public hearing was scheduled in Marin County to deal with our application for improving the seminary. It was a horrible experience. About 300 people showed up from the community organization to speak against us. And they came one after the other to the microphone in a choreographed fashion that had been set up prior to the meeting. And for four solid hours, the seminary was attacked publicly for our attempts to redevelop the campus in Mill Valley. After that four-hour ordeal, we were asked if we had a response we wanted to make. And quite frankly, I, I could read the room and I could certainly read the planning commission and I knew that no response was necessary because we had lost. And I don't mean we'd lost a battle or we'd lost a moment or we'd lost a meeting. I mean we had lost everything in terms of opportunity to stay in that location and redevelop our campus. I went home from that meeting and called our board chairman and said, I've led us into a disaster. We have no alternatives. We've lost, and I don't mean we've lost. We were spiked, we were slam dunked, we were skunked, we were obliterated. We've lost. And I said, whatever you want to do to go forward, I will cooperate. If you want my resignation, you can have it now. If you want the seminary to go in a different direction, tell me and I'll take it. But we are at a place of hopelessness tonight. That was the darkest day in my 40 years of ministry leadership. It's hard to put into words what that night was like as I agonized over what we had done, where we were, the limited options we had going forward, and how I ever imagined we would get out of the morass, the chaos to which we descended. That night I prayed, cried, read scripture, and once again, in comforting and powerful ways, God communicated to me, I'm enough. And the next morning, the only thing that got me up and got me back to work was those three words, God is enough, 
and I have no idea how we're going to make it, but we're going to hang on to him because he is enough. Now, as I've told these stories over the years in different contexts, in different messages, in different places, the response has always been interesting to me because when I finish telling these stories and I tell them occasionally in different contexts, in different messages, not often, but when I do, people come up to me from the congregation or the audience after and they tell me these kinds of statements. Thanks for sharing your story tonight. It happened to me when I had my heart attack. And they tell me their story of how they learned that God is enough. Or they'll say, it happened to me when my, when my husband walked out on me and left me with kids. No, way, no hope, no way forward. But God is enough. Another man told me it happened when my business partner backstabbed me and stole my company and left me bankrupt. But I found out God is enough. I could stand here today and tell you story after story of people who've come up to me and told me of a similar experience when they had an affliction, an affliction that caused them to feel completely overwhelmed, despairing of life, feeling like they had received a death sentence. But in the midst of that, something remarkable happened. They found out they were beyond their strength and they could not trust any longer in themselves. And they discovered that God is enough. Gateway family, these are difficult and uncertain times we're living in. But I want to underscore, affliction has the powerful capacity to bring us to the end of our strength, to cause us to trust God more deeply, and to learn a spiritual lesson that every Christian needs to learn at some point in their lifetime, and that is, God is enough. Now the passage continues, continuing in verse 9. Paul writes, So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. In a sense, Paul plays his trump card when he goes right to the ultimate way that we know we can trust God and that he is enough. When he said, remember, God is enough because he raises the dead. You know, Jesus' resurrection that we'll celebrate in a few weeks is the ultimate win over the ultimate enemy. And because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we know that God has the power to overcome every single thing in life up to and including death. And so Paul goes straight for the trump card when he said, we trust in God who raises the dead. In light of my affliction, he said, I'll just trust the one who can overcome every affliction up to and including death. Then he writes, He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. Notice these phrases. He says, we are delivered and we will be delivered. He has delivered us, beginning in verse 10, meaning in the past, from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us, meaning that he is and will continue to deliver us as we move forward into the future. God, because he raises the dead, has delivered, is delivering, and will deliver us from whatever affliction besets us.
But in the context of that, understand that God often delivers us through affliction, not from affliction. And by delivering us through affliction, he teaches us these profound spiritual lessons. Verse 8, that we have to live beyond our own strength. And verse 9, that we have to live trusting in him and not ourselves. I've phrased it this way. We have to learn this important spiritual lesson. God is enough. Now, in this context, the passage actually ends with a way that we can support each other as we live through these kind of afflictions. Notice what it says. Verse 11, Paul writes, Will you join in helping us by your prayers? Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us. How? Through the prayers of many. Paul says, in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our learning these important lessons, will you pray for us? Because he says, by helping, you will help us by your prayers and by the prayers of many, we will experience the deliverance that we need. So while we're feeling afflicted, while we're learning this important lesson that God is enough, while we're trusting the God who raises the dead, meaning that he has power over death and every other affliction leading up to and including death, while we're all living through this, Paul says we can actually impact the process by praying for one another. And in the prayers of many, there is deliverance in the context of, what we're, of how we're being afflicted. So Gateway family, the message of President's Chapel today is God is enough. He is enough in the darkest moments personally. He is enough in the darkest moments professionally. He will allow circumstances in your life that may feel like you're completely overwhelmed, you're despairing of not knowing what to do, and you even feel like you've got the sentence of death whether those circumstances are medical, relational, financial, whether they're cultural or social, God will allow affliction for the singular purpose, getting you to stop trusting yourself and depending on your own strength and coming to a deep, profound, life-changing spiritual conviction that He is enough. And while we're all living through this, and each one processing it in our own way and coming to our own conclusions about how God is at work in our lives through these circumstances, we can best support one another by praying for each other, by many prayers, and by many people, Paul says. We will feel the support that we need, and we will ultimately give thanks for the gift, for the gift that came to us this gift of affliction, this gift of insight that God is enough, and this gift of living through this together and discovering what it means to stand with one another in prayer. So Gateway family, God is enough. And I hope this message from scripture and from my testimony encourages you today as we continue to stand together, pray together, serve together, and make a difference together and live through the afflictions God is allowing in our culture, in our community, and maybe even individually in your life 
through the circumstances we're currently encountering. God bless you. Stay in touch with each other and with me and we move, as we move forward together. And I look forward to speaking to you next week again in President's Chapel.